Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation presenting Succession Recaps. We are dissecting the HBO hit series because we love taking verbal dumps on billionaires. In the absence of actual dumps on billionaires, we'll take what we can get. And don't be confused, this is still the FTN feed and you will get your regular episode of Fake the Nation on Thursdays but on Mondays for the next seven weeks we will be doing this bonus succession recap bod joining me to talk all things succession is the wonderful artist and filmmaker and our resident wealth expert Danielle Derschlag hey Danielle hey Nagin wealthy people are still fucked up let's talk about it yes and joining us also a special guest for this week 
We have, um, she's a financial expert. You've heard her on Fake the Nation before. She's host of the podcast, So Money, which is just wildly popular. She is the incredible Farnoosh Torabi. Hey, Farnoosh. Hey, Nagin. Hey, Danielle. I'm so excited to dissect this episode with you. So much going mm. on. So much going on. Okay. Well, but before we, I'm going to, you know, do my typical summary. I say typical as if we've done multiple episodes of this podcast, but we're going to do just my <laughs> oh so expected summary. But first, um, I just want your quick reactions to, I'd say, one of the most, the holy fuckiest of holy fuck episodes <laughs> in the succession <laughs> vault. What did you, what did you think, Danielle? Um, I think this is an episode that a lot of us are going to be thinking about for a very long time. I thought it was um, exceptionally poignant, exceptionally terrifying, and exceptionally well done. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Farnoosh, mm-hmm. what did you think? It was gutting. It was absolutely gutting. And uh, I watched it with my husband. He said, wow, this is a baller move. A baller move on the part of the creators to do this at the third Mm. episode. We have seven more to go. Also a baller move, if you want to read into it, you know, Logan at the end of season two, he said, you know, I always fucking win. And this death was in some ways a victory for him. I don't, obviously you can't plan your death, but you know, in the sense that it left his children completely unglued and uh, you know, for him, it was sort of like a perfect death. You know, it was sort of like he died on the way to a giant deal quietly, uh, but his kids meanwhile um, are in a rut. To, you know, to, to put it lightly. And I think that's, you know, he won in that moment. Okay, well, let's get into whether or not um, he won. But first, a quick summary. Um, so, well, things start off in typical succession style with quips and, of course, weddings. And before Logan boards a private jet on his way to Sweden to court more money from Matson, Logan calls Roman and tells him to fire Jerry, which he does. Um, and also he talks about firing Sid, the head of ATN. Um, and, uh, and, and Roman, in fact, does fire Jerry at the wedding because nuptials are actually incidental at succession weddings. It's actually business that everyone is there for. Jerry notes that I dance us through a thunderstorm without getting us wet, but nevertheless handles the sacking with grace, though you can sort of tell that there's something utterly broken now between her in her relationship with Roman. Uh, Roman leaves a message for his dad to let him know that that was a horrible experience and ends the call with, quote, so that's the question. Uh, are you a cunt? Okay, give me a buzz. Connor is having a conniption fit about the wedding cake. Shiv is sent to handle Connor and let him know that Logan is probably not coming to his wedding like a good dad. And that's when Roman and Kendall get a call from Tom, who's on the private jet with Logan. And it is the fucking call that ends all calls because their dad is dying. And at first it doesn't seem real because this is succession. It's all about games. But holy fuck, it actually happened. And that's the gist of the episode. They each take turns saying something over the phone to their dad's dead body, including stuff like, I love you. I can't figure, um, I can't forgive you, but it's okay. And I love you. And you're going to be fine because you're a monster. All such uh, phrases were uttered into the dying man's ears over a phone. Tom, Carl, Frank, and Carolina are dealing with the death on the private jet. Kendall, Shiv, and Roman are dealing with being the children of this terrible but iconic figure on a boat uh, where Connor's wedding is taking place. It takes a while for everyone to agree that Logan is actually dead, but when they do, the business timeline is immediately put into place. The kids draft a statement, and the question of succession becomes 
imminent. Connor has a weirdly beautiful and practical conversation with Willa, asking if she's in it for the money. And she says, yeah, but that, but there's also some comfort here, some stability with the money, and I'm happy. And I'm not going anywhere, at least not today. The guests are disbanded, but the wedding itself actually goes ahead. Tom and Shiv leave in the same town car when they get to um, Teeterboro Airport here in New Jersey where the private jets take off and land. And by the end of the episode, everyone in the cast has pre-earned an Emmy. Um, (laughs) Folks... (laughs) <laughs> remarkable, remarkable. Okay, so let's let's just start with you know basically like it was time. Interesting. This was my my feeling about killing Logan. I knew it was coming. I said on the last couple of episodes, right, Danielle, that like sure Logan did. will die. Right, you were like, right. We know this is going to mm-hmm. happen, but yet it was still so shocking that it happened. It still felt red wedding to me you know it was Mm. still like utterly shocking in that red wedding way even though it's like season four and and part of the baller move of red wedding is that it happened so soon but um they did such a great job at the misdirect because we think this episode is going to be about firing jerry and firing sid you know they really set that up there's a lot of talk about firing and um and then and then there's a lot of you know and they do the conversation with Jerry and um Roman and you think oh my god this is all going to be about that uh but it was not at all about that uh so how do you how do you both feel that they handled it for Anoush? well I would have gotten really bored, to be quite honest, if the rest of the show, if they were going to kill Logan on season, on episode nine or 10, like to go through this entire show with these three siblings going from place to place to place together, you know, it's just like three against one. I think that that would have gotten to become very tired very quickly. The show Mm -hmm. is called Succession. You can't just have that happen in the last episode, right? And so this gives the, like, you know, I heard the the director and the creators talk about it in the the after show, and they were saying that um, for them, this was twofold. The the reason they did it at this juncture, episode three, was that one, it was sort of like, you know, it it had all the, uh, to your point, it was unexpected and that's good television. Um, But secondly, you know, it gave them an opportunity for seven more episodes to almost create a new show here, you know, for us and to keep everybody um, completely eyes glued to this and really invested in this now. Um, we Nobody knows what's going to happen. And there were many predictions beforehand that were very confident, like, you know, you know, whether as far as who was going to become the successor or who, who was going to die and when. Now, I feel like all of that goes away and we have a whole new adventure ahead of us, which is brilliant. Yeah, I agree with all of that. You know, one of the things that was so striking to me, clearly the timing of this is an extraordinarily smart move dramaturgically for the audience. We didn't see it coming in episode three, right? That Logan was going to be gone. But what really stung me in the best sense, what haunted me and haunts me today still, is the filmic treatment of that death. Because Nagin, I think you and I would agree that that is not a classic death scene of the central character. No, we don't get to see him die. Correct. And we get get to see, and that was one of the things that 
was so, I think 90% of Americans, this is a completely made up statistic, folks, but quote me, <laughs> quote me wide and far. 90% of Americans do not get to hear about the death of their parent over the phone, right? Like it's, this was, this was what was fascinating is that in movies we get to see the death and the whole thing, but like in real life, you never see the death, right? You're never there. It's very rare that you're there. That's right. So continue, Danielle. I thought, I thought that was remarkable. No, that's right. And I think definitely as we saw in the same after video that, you know, they showed the kind of like inside the episode, um, Jesse Armstrong was talking about this, how they wanted to portray contemporary death. Contemporary death is often communicated through devices, not actually through being together in a room. Room. So in that way, it matched reality. But if I can take a, an artistic step back and talk about the filmic choices here, there's not a single shot of Logan's whole face. Mm-hmm. That's great. We do not see his features in his final moments. We see a bit of his forehead, and that is yep. the most intimate we get. Filmically, I think there's a couple fascinating things happening there. One is we're in the position of the kids emotionally through that choice. Because just like they can't access his death, we can't access his death. It makes us more compassionate and empathetic with their situation in this mm-hmm. episode. But the second thing is, you know, he's the lion of this show. I've used that terminology for him before. I think it really matches. I thought there was something oddly and darkly respectful in a strange way about not showing us the ultimate vulnerability Logan will and will have ever had in his entire life, which is losing the breath and life from his body. This show, I think, we sometimes disagree about this, Nagin, but I think this show really believes that for all of his evil, Logan is a serious functional person and his children are not serious or functional people. This was an unbelievably respectful death through the filmic lens. And I, and I-, I was struck by that. And I also want to say about the filmmaking, uh, so they did a take, basically, like a one-act play of those sort of 10 to 12 minutes in the middle there where the kids are running up and down yacht stairs. And first of all, of course, they're running up and down yacht stairs. But of I course. mean, it was just, I mean, just brilliant <laughs> to have them in a most absurd location at Connor's wedding um, as like, you know, Dixie America songs are playing in the background of this, right. of this uh, America studded boat. Um, and what they did was because they shoot on film. So what they did was they had film like strategically placed all over this yacht and these like conference rooms and whatever to so that they could reload because you you could only shoot on film for about 10 minutes so they would have him placed here and there so they could reload in real time because they wanted the thing to feel like these are the reactions of people in real time and it was I thought that was really beautifully done they and they used I mean from what I understand mostly those takes they did a bunch Mm -hmm. of the you know the regular takes that filmmakers do where it's just like that scene those lines cut you know um, action and cut but then but for the for the meat of the episode they did use that kind of um, the the roving cameras one act play because they wanted those kids to just build 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 and feel those feelings. Um, it worked and stunningly, them. and it, it worked stunningly. And I remember feeling, and as I was watching it, I even said to myself, "This isn't one shot, but it feels like it." Right? Like yes. I felt that way. I felt like I was like watching that that one you know brilliant scene in Children of Men that's like ten minutes of just right. agony, like or whatever. Um, <laughs> But so that that filmmaking stuff was great. I l- want to talk about some of the r- rich people shit here. Now, um, you both have uh, some wealth expertise on different ends on, you know, on various ends of that 
meaning. And um, I want to understand what happens because the, the other the other interesting thing. So <laughs> he didn't die with his family. He died with his closest advisors. <laughs> we we, could, like, we his, could make the argument that, that he did die with his family. Right, 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 right. Exactly. His money family, which That's is right. maybe his most important family, was his money family. His more functional one, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so Farnoosh, you've been around some billionaires or um, mm-hmm. a, a billionaire. I can't, I can't remember the, the specifics. Um, what is your understanding of their relationship with their money family? Their money family, as in those who protect their money, their, the, that guard Yeah, their, just their, like their, their, their Carls, their Franks, their um, Carlinas. Uh, I mean, it is, it's blood. It's blood relation. You know, they, these people, they keep them close. Um, they're, I mean, what is more per- important in your life as a billionaire than, you know, your wealth. It symbolizes um, so much about who you are. I mean, we talk about how self-worth is net worth. Um, When you get to the billionaire level, it is compounded exponentially. And so those, they they pick very, they're very careful about who they they keep close. Um, But, you know, in the aftermath of a billionaire's death, a lot of what's going to happen, the decisions are going to be around money. And so to perhaps have those people closest to you as you're dying, you're breathing your last breath um, is important. Maybe, you know, they, as those on the plane, immediately they were thinking about sort of like the messaging and the stock price and things like that and the market. And that's, I think, what Logan would have cared most about. Um, because that mm. is his legacy. His legacy is not that he raised these really um, functional children. I mean, he's over that. Uh, but rather, <laughs> that ship has sailed. That that yacht has did sailed. Not raise it's functional literally children, and figuratively yeah. sailed. Yeah, but it's correct, more correct. that you know he. And can we also talk one thing about film? Fi- you know, we were. I wanted yeah. to say something about the filming. Nobody had their feet planted on the ground most of this episode. I don't know, Danielle, if that was intentional, perhaps, you know, as someone who um, is a producer who thinking about, you know, the children were on were at sea, the father's in the air. Nobody had two feet planted on the earth while all of this was happening. I have to think that that was metaphorical or symbolic of just the fact that just just it plays up the chaos and plays up the fact that nobody was really thinking affirmatively in that moment. Um, nobody, I mean, even if you thought logistically, okay, well, we have to get the messaging out, This we have to think about the market, that could also be seen as irrational. Then you have the children who are being emotional. They are being called irrational. So nobody, you know, it was just sort of like this this constant battle, this tension between like, what is the right, what, what is the right thing to do in this moment? Nobody knew. And that was shocking because Logan is old and he had many brushes with death. And I know this was unexpected to to us as viewers, but for, to those closest to him, was it really? You know, and not mm-hmm. only that, but you had you had absolutely no idea what to do in the aftermath of a sudden death. There was no playbook. Um, and so mm. I just, you know, that that to answer your question again, I think. It's going back to your initial question, I think it would it, it's extremely important for billionaires to keep their their money people close. And I think in in moments like this when they're when they're departing that, you know, they want to make sure that those folks um, are on top of their shit because this is his legacy. This is they are the protectors of his legacy. And 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 I have to say too it's it reminds me of Matson, a conversation that Matson had with um <laughs> with Roman in the club at at uh, Kendall's birthday in the previous season where Matson goes, "So, when is your dad going to die?" 
and, That's right. and, and <laughs> right. Roman is like, um, I don't. He's like, because is, is it is it like is it like soon? Is it like a year? Because if it's five years, that might be a downer. You know what I mean? Uh, and it was this most casual conversation. Um, that guy, and, that guy and, is so much fun at parties. Oh god! And then <laughs> and this was, uh, by the way, sandwiched in between. Like I'm just waiting to get some pussy so I can leave. Basically, like right. that was also part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Roman's like, well. That is my dad. So talking about his death is, I mean, it's cool. You know, it's like, so they, if they had this hilarious conversation about, because, because I think when you are old and, uh, you know, these, these things have been calculated. People were constantly thinking about when Logan was going to die. Madsen, chief among them, right? With this right. deal and whether or not he had to deal with um, Logan and, 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 and part of the buyout, was this because you didn't want to deal with Logan. Um, and so, uh, so I thought, I, I thought that was, that was really interesting. Okay. So let's actually pause the conversation here. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll extra get into it. Today's show is sponsored by rocket money. Ugh, folks. I mean, First of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions and it monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills. But that's headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way. But you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. Lord, my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Thank you to Angie for sponsoring this HeadGum podcast. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Indeed. So if you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Yeah, doing stuff yourself seems fun, but then you actually get to, you know, solving a problem and you realize that mm-hmm. you can create 10 more problems and then you probably should have just paid a yeah. a professional to deal with it right off the bat. You can easily injure and or maim yourself as well. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. You just get the app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. It's very convenient. It sure is, folks, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Thank you, Angie. Angie Angie.com. Thank you. We want to tell you about a podcast we think you're going to love. It's called See the Thing Is, and it's hosted by Grammy Award-winning R&B artist Bridget Kelly and media personality Mandy B. Every week, Bridget Kelly and Mandy B offer grown, honest, and slightly toxic perspectives on all things music, pop culture, and of course, dating and relationships, which is my fave. Do you have a hard time finding new music? Are you a millennial who misses what life was like in the 2000s? Are you interested in multiple perspectives on relationships? and dating? Are you interested in a non-male bashing podcast that holds both sexes accountable? See, the thing is, is a podcast that allows space for a wide range of thoughts and emotions. Most recently, the ladies sat down with Big Frida and Chloe Bailey and just huge names. Van Lathan, who's one of my favorite people to listen to to chat about movies. So the conversations they're having are phenomenal. Join Bridget and Mandy every week as they update you on everything going on in the world with their polarizing hot takes. Subscribe to See The Thing Is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. Let's just talk about the, the children's emotional reaction. So because this this I thought that was yes. really interesting. So Sherry Redstone, um, Sumner Redstone's daughter, ended up talking to him over the phone with her her, you know, voice in his ear as he was dying. Um, so that so this thing, mm. the way he the way they kept putting the kids' voices up to his ear was a thing that they kind of, I think, um took from the the, the Sherry Redstone um experience. Mm. Um It happened a lot during you, COVID too, if you remember. Oh, like, that sure. happened a lot. Yeah. You know, so I think Absolutely. real yeah. Again, real life a real, real life, life getting into the They're just like us, the, the billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, remarkable performances. Uh, I also thought what was nice, it wasn't the speeches they gave on the phone. They weren't these clean, oh, I I always loved you, Dad. You're forgiven for everything and it's great. Like, you'll be remembered. They were really messy speech, little monologues, you know? Well, you know, these are messy people with messy interior landscapes that they Mm -hmm. do not fully understand, let alone try to heal. So I thought that was so appropriate. And also, I want to speak a little bit to, um, I thought there was a really beautiful kind of almost like filmic metaphor in the choice to have his death go that way where the kids can only speak to him kind of clunkily and awkwardly through this phone. Because fundamentally, what are we seeing in that scene? We're seeing someone who cannot listen or hear 
receiving tortured communications from children who desperately want to be heard and can't communicate their feelings out loud. That's their mm-hmm. whole life dynamic reduced in this death scene to one exchange with each, right? But that's the idea throughout. What have these kids been doing for all these seasons? Screaming into this man's ear, I love you, I hate you, I forgive you, please stop, come forward, all these contradictory needs. The same thing is happening here, but instead of just being tone deaf because of his emotional limitations, here he truly cannot hear them. I couldn't think of a more poetic or on-the-money sort of structure for how each would communicate with this man in his final moments. Um, For me, you know, the episode starts on Roman. I've noticed with with Succession, the first character that we see is often a character who's going to do some really interesting work for that episode. Last time, the first person we saw and heard was Carrie, and that was an interesting episode for her. This time it's Roman, and Roman's inability to fundamentally accept that his father really is capable of death um, is one of the most searing components of this episode for me. And I think it speaks to, obviously, the human reality that we all want to deny mortality. But I also think there's some really fascinating wealth culture stuff in there. Because my experience of growing up in the 1% was that whenever my family or families like mine truly could not solve something with money, couldn't make it go away, couldn't make it disappear Mm -hmm. or be fixed immediately, there's an almost a disorienting kind of fugue that takes over because that's mm. the that's the structure we believe in 99% of the time. You know, I had a chronic illness for many years that was hard to fix, as you know, Nagin. And I can't tell you the number of wealthy people, the generation above mine, who said, well, just pay to go to the best doctor and it's done. And when I would say, well, there is no best doctor for this because it's not curable, then there would be almost like this cloud over their face because that's the wealth culture solution. And this episode, as much as anything for me, was about wealthy people contending with the number one thing they have no say over, which is mortality. Mm -hmm. And we see Roman in particular hold, hold that inability to accept that somehow they cannot finagle, pay, bribe, con, coup their way out of this man leaving the earth. Uh, Farnoosh, was there a sibling that you felt like held it together or whose emotional reaction um, was, uh, I don't know, surprising to you? I just thought this whole scene with the three siblings was the most honest that we could have gotten in this show. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, your mother or your father is dying. Can you just like pretend, you know, nobody was willing to pretend (laughs) in this moment. Nobody was willing to say, I just love you. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you for everything. No, there was none of that. They, 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 this is because this is how shattered their relationship is. They couldn't even pretend to say three words. I love you with a period at the end. You know, Kendall was, I, I, uh, you know, I don't forgive you, but I love you. You know, um, with mm. Shiv, it was like, are you, is this really happening? Are you like, she didn't even, for a minute, like Shiv, yeah, first of all, right. she was like, I mean, like, can she, we just give her the Emmy because to, to oh go through so many different oh. emotions um, within a period, you know, and the, and the director said like, you know, he just was like a puddle at the end of that, of, of her performance. Um, you know, going back to what Danielle said about how wealthy people can't pay their way out of pain and grief and trauma, um, Kendall tried. You know, he did it for a moment. He got into, he sort of got into like operations mode, you know, where it's like, I right. want the doctor, I want the pilot, I want, and, 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 and to me that spoke to his, 
um, brain going to where his comfort zone is, you know, or where he thinks he needs to go to take control of the situation. He, for him, survival in that moment was feeling in control. And what that meant was telling people to fuck off, demanding things that were you know, just un, un, unlikely, but yet he was going to make the effort. And then I also thought that going back to Roman's denial, um, numbers don't lie, especially when you're rich. And when did he know his father was dead? When he saw the stock price fall, he said, there's Correct. dad. And I thought, yeah. okay, that, that is, yeah. uh, that, that's what he needed to see. And because that, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the father is money. He is wealth. There, right. It's like well, one, even, they're it, one it, in it the same. Is, I don't think it was a conversation with Roman, but I think it was a conversation with Kendall where, where Logan said, you know, life is numbers. Your life is numbers on a piece of paper or whatever. Like a person's life is numbers on a piece of paper or something like that. And it's like to the bitter end, like that literally looking at the stock prices, like, yeah, that's my, my life is numbers on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was brilliant. Let's like look at the fallout because one of the, you know, I'd say mo most insignificant characters is Carrie in this universe. She walks into the uh, other chamber of the private jet. So they're sort of doing chest compressions for like the longest, most like, horrendous time. Oh, God. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was like, oh, please make these chest compressions stop. I can't handle it anymore. But she walks in and she says, I mean, Carrie's performance there, it was wild. Yes. Um, she says, nuts. That was crazy, right? And she's kind of smiling. She's like, that was, was fucking weird. Like she's clearly in shock. My question is, what happens to a Carrie who was an assistant slash, um, you know, counselor, uh, sleeping yeah. lady? Uh, <laughs> what is what, <laughs> what happens to um, such a consort? Well, I'm going to give two quick answers. The first answer assumes that Carrie is not pregnant, in which case she disappears. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you love mm -hmm. this pregnancy possibility. I do. Nagin, it's my favorite possibility. I'm probably going to be proven wrong, but man, I hope there's a seed in there. Gross. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, if she's not pregnant, meaning like there's no actual genetic yeah. tether, um, she just, she literally, I, I'm curious what you think. I would say she disappears. These kids oh, don't need her. She's totally her. disposable. She's gone. She, the Absolutely. only person that, yeah. Logan and they hated her, her so that helps. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. they're going to focus group her out. Let's just be clear. They're going to focus group her out. That's it. Oh, it's yeah. out. It's, yeah, she's yeah, out. Yeah. It's, it's already happening with two exceptions. One, my glamorous fantasy that she's pregnant. If that's not the case, two, the only other way that she stays in this structure is because she has been legally embedded into the structure without the children knowing, which is not in wealth culture an uncommon occurrence. Right. The Sumner Redstone put mm. in the girlfriends in the will situation or whatever. Right. That's, 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 that's definitely a possibility. Yes. The other possibility is she knows where the bodies are buried. So if she has information, I think that's a third uh, yes. thing. Possible. Like, right? More documents, more whatever. You know what I mean? Um, that's a possibility. I and think. by the way, when I say she disappears, my vision for that is very much like a Versailles kind of uh, the king's consort disappearing, meaning she gets a beautiful mansion somewhere. You know, like this yeah. woman, this woman's going to get paid. But right, she, of course. But she probably will not be part of the ecosystem so, unless there's a legal issue. 
do so we think nothing will happen of her being a becoming an anchor like that just seemed to her like such an ultimatum like she needed that to happen she wanted that so bad that was just maybe a a funny distraction (laughs) you immediately first of all she she was you know terrible in shock but you immediately saw her power just disappear the minute she opens her mouth and walks into that room and says all those things it's like first of all she sounded like a teenager you know what I mean like she just (laughs) sounded like a wobbly teenager who could barely string together sentences and that and 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 it was such a marked departure from how we normally hear her talk, which is very severe mm-hmm. and harsh and insulting. And Greg and Tom were scared of her because she had the ear of Logan Roy. But without the ear of Logan Roy, how is she getting a job on ATN? She's not getting a job on ATN. Put the hairspray away. We don't need your hair to mm-hmm. travel into the, um, you know, into the uh, sky right. anymore. Because but you, by the way, you, everyone no who starts out hear. at Fox News is terrible. Um, they don't hire you because you're good on camera in the in the beginning. They hire you right. because you've huh. got the look and, you, and you're trainable. I know many women who have gone up through the ranks at Fox News. I remember when Fox Business started and uh, a, a colleague of mine who was behind the scenes got like plucked out of obscurity, thrown on Fox Business. And I would I, I ran into her on a subway in New York and I said, how's it going? She said, um, I'm being groomed. That's what's happening. And they were told it really, really like fembots. Nice. Like they wow. had to wear certain, like you could only cross your no legs pants. a certain direction. Like right. it wasn't about what was like your, comp- you know, they they could teach. They felt like they could teach you to do whatever they needed to do. There was a playbook for how to be on Fox News. And um, mm-hmm. I think like when a lot of people were laughing her out of the room, I thought, well, to be honest, like if we go back to everyone's first reel, everyone's first reel sucks. It's really about does she yeah. have is she willing to do what it takes you know and i think she would have um but anyway that's last episode and probably we will never revisit that that plot well yeah it, but it, mean, it, we'll it, see but i kind of doubt it yeah it, it yeah. leads me actually to, to a thought i've been having a lot about last night's episode actually which is i think in a low-key kind of not obvious way this was an incredible e- episode about the innate sexism of this culture that we're watching let's just talk for a brief moment about what's happening with the women in this in this episode carrie has lost all her power because she is no longer to be blunt sleeping with logan yeah. so that's a patriarchy souffle right there um We're talking about Sid getting fired when she has been the head of ATN forever so that Tom, Mm -hmm. this young guy who doesn't deserve it, can, you know, basically take over. And that's about to happen. And what's the first thing we see Roman being told to do? Fire Jerry. Why? Because she's been sexually harassed by him. One of the things this show does so brilliantly is it treats sexism in these kinds of 1% rooms as casually or organically as it exists in those rooms. It doesn't even require commenting on because it is so pervasive. The women in this episode really are suffering at the hands of patriarchy, but in such a subtle way. And then finally at the end, because one of the themes of this family is, who can I send to have this difficult conversation I don't want to have and then ultimately punish them for it? Who actually gives the statement to the press? Right, that bothered me. That really bothered me. I was like, here we go again. It's the daughter who has to put on a happy face or not really just put it together, get yourself, you know, in a in a stable place and go and make the statement and her falling apart brothers, you know, one of them who was at one point the successor. And and I just thought that was so cliche. And yes, Danielle perfectly stated. 
Yeah. But expected, yeah. right? I mean, this is I what don't this- know that I okay, I again, not <laughs> I I think the reason she did it is because she has the political experience and she's the one that's always uh, she's handled those things in a lot of like political situations anyway. So I feel like she's always the one who like can that. handle it though. She's always yeah, the one in the is- suit while the brothers are wearing their $800 Tom Ford shirts and their baseball hats. I'm always it's like, why is she, she's, why she's is she wearing a three-piece suit? Yeah, <laughs> she's always prepared to like do a press conference. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but I also want to say that interestingly in the aftermath of the death Danielle has heard me be team Kendall um, and, and I don't even know why like this happens to me but again I he was the one when they were talking about what should we do right now like we we don't we don't want to release the news of his death yet because it's not 100% clear and they're in the air and the stock prices will drop if there's any show of instability in the company maybe the 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 the, the jet should circle for a while until we figure it out And then Mm -hmm. Kendall basically sits them down and is like, you guys, whatever we decide right now is how we will be judged, okay? And Mm. he said, quote, let's grieve and whatever, but let's not do anything that will restrict our future freedoms of movement. And I think that Kendall was on it. Like in that moment, he was just like, we can't have the fucking plane flying around. That news will get out. We can't, you know, there's a whole host of things we can't do because this moment will be scrutinized for the rest of our lives. So let's fucking get our shit together and decide, you know, how to do this. And obviously we need to be the ones writing the statement and we're, and he even said, we're doing the draft, right? Yeah, but we're doing the draft. I mean, I think in a way, Kendall was being a leader there. Why yes. am I so team Kendall? I'm so embarrassed for myself. But I know I'd love to ask yeah. you, Nagin, why are you so team Kendall? <laughs> I mean, please explain it to me. I really want to know. But that's what uh, I mean. And in those moments, he's just like actually thinking about the business. He's actually got a head on his shoulders. You know what I mean? It's well, like, well, listen, I hear she what you're made saying. the statement, but it was like Kendall that, you know, really got Danielle, them all why like, aren't you? Why aren't you team Kendall, Danielle? Yeah, why are you the anti Kendall? Well, first yeah. of all, I suddenly feel very attacked in the, in the context <laughs> of the <film. laughs> No, listen, I agree that Kendall has some cogent, smart thinking there. But but my read, which is, is different, is I actually think that is a devastatingly sad moment because so much of this show is about the bizarre kind of upside down world in 1% land of public and private. What's public and what's private? You know, to go back to Farnoosh's brilliant uh, sort of observation that none of these people are on solid ground, they're on the sea, they're in the air. Not only does that sort of, you know, remind us of how not rationally and kind of grounded they are, but also those are spaces 99% of humanity cannot get onto, a yacht or a private plane. They're acutely private spaces where deeply public people have to plan their public life from within these private enclaves, right? So here we are at the top of this yacht, private, exceptional, you know, very much an elitist sort of structure. And Kendall doesn't even have, I would say, the kind of indulgence most of us do of just getting to be someone's son who's just died for more than about three minutes without thinking about himself as a public brand. To me, savvy, yes. Depressing, absolutely. It's, I mean, sure, I, I I can see why that's depressing, but it's also like, it's like sort of what all of them have been groomed to 
think about. Correct. Like their entire lives is this company and and their relationship to this brand. Yeah, sorry. I just think there's no perfect reaction to a parent dying. And when their parent dies, whether you're a billionaire or you're paycheck to paycheck, I mean, in that moment, no one can can you you maybe envision like uh, this is how I would react or this is what I would say, but I Yes, Kendall was very businessy in that moment, but the other siblings, you could find flaws in their performances as well. You know, like I don't think it's fair necessarily to like judge a and say this is how this you know to to, to basically to judge a person's reaction to it to a parent dying. I think is it is a completely sad and unpredictable moment, and I do think that Kendall had his his. Oh, what's, what did he say? He went through his uh, grief and, and and whatever. You know, he did do that like in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you know? he, yeah, he, yeah. He did give himself that opportunity to to grieve. But um, I'm with you, Nagin. I think that he um, said one of the smartest things in that episode, right? That we're going to be remembered for this moment. So let's get our shit together. And also, he's, he has had one of the best lines. And I also want to say that... Um, my friend of mine, um, who a, a couple of friends of mine who've lost their parents, one of the things that they talked about uh, that seemed to be common for both of them was that like they were really indulged in the logistics. Like mm. the minute the death happened, they were like, "Great, so let's figure out the funeral, da da da, the flower arrangements, who's bringing the, you know what I mean? Is there going to be finger foods? Like they just got so involved with logistics, and it's it was it was their coping mechanism because they couldn't handle the actual fact of the thing, but what they could handle was their crisis management skills. That's what they could get would it could indulge in, and I've seen that happen, and I that made so much sense to me because when something goes wrong in my personal life, um, I immediately start thinking of solutions. What do we do? What are the steps? Let's do bullet points. Okay, action plan. Mm. Like you know what I mean? And I I completely see that happening. Um, that that makes sense, which which gives us one of the best lines in the episode from Kendall. He says, uh, "We'll be okay. We'll get a funeral off the racks. We'll do Reagan's with tweaks." Um, <laughs> I, I wrote that line down. That is so fucking brilliant. Come on, so brilliant. Like just getting a funeral off the racks. Like I I mean, and of course it's Reagan. Wait, wait. Um, so there's no so couture in this funeral, like off the racks. Like when was the last time they want anything off the rack? They're going to do the funeral off the rack, but they won't buy a T-shirt off the rack. You know what I mean? Like, that was weird. So that was wild. Weird. Well, it's, yeah, oh. it's also like says something about his relationship to the, the grossness of the brand that his dad has created, Correct. right? Like, Correct. he knows. Oh, he, yes. Reg, yes. Reagan's yes. funeral, Reagan's funeral right. is, a, is an elevation, right? You really think about, I mean, if this guy is... Um, you know, Rupert Murdoch or whatever, right. the brand he created is gross. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like elevating him to a Reagan funeral, it's like, <laughs> actually, like... you're welcome. Um, let's talk mm. about, I. this is the one, the man I really want to talk about is mm. Tom. Oh, Tom. Tom. What is, Tom, again, oh. he's not with, he chose Logan over his wife, right? Right. He fucking shivved shiv. So what, I mean, what are we, what is going to happen to that man now that Logan is gone? He's no longer, if these kids take over the company, if one of them is the CEO, I mean, 
Depending on who, depending on what's going on. I mean, he needs to update his LinkedIn profile stat. He needs to update (laughs) his LinkedIn profile like yesterday. Which, well, also like for me watching all of these high powered executives worried about their jobs, like Jerry getting fired, you know, I mean, yes, it was unfair and she deserves to be emotional in that moment. We've all been fired or laid off and, you know, unfairly, unjustly, but also like you're going to be okay. Like that's kind of also mm-hmm. what what Roman was telling her. Like you're going to be okay. You're going to make all this money. Blah blah blah. Like you'll you'll get a parachute, some sort of money. But yeah. also you'll get a great job on a board seat. Um, but back to Tom, I think you know similar to Carrie, his lifeline was um, Logan. I mean, you know, he didn't really have any other allies. Maybe cousin Greg, um, and which is I think very an interesting. You know. There are some interesting projections about another loose end. Totally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps Tom's relationship with Greg is what transforms in the forthcoming episodes where um, Greg sort of recognizes more of his potential and power. Now that Tom is no longer the favored one um, and no longer has the political power over him, uh, perhaps we're going to see that dynamic change. I'd love to see Greg start to, you know, bully Tom a little bit more in the forthcoming episodes. I think it would be fun to watch. Well, and I also think Greg would like that very much, I think, as a character that would make him extremely happy. Yes, um, for, yes. For, for, he's been waiting know, some, for it. He's been waiting he's for that been waiting. He's been playing the long game, man. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you know, with Tom Nagin, I'm also totally fascinated and curious about what comes next because there are moments when Tom is frankly the most human, humane voice in the show. And there are moments when his sadistic side are is on full display. He's such a complicated character. The wild card for me is, frankly, what happens in this morning period emotionally between him and Shiv. Because what we know about this family is that- They gonna fuck that. I'm gonna tell oh, you what. Oh, for you sure. Got, because if there's a death, you gotta do some life-affirming boning. And oh, that- Listen, it absolutely must happen. The affirmation of coitus is on the horizon. That's absolutely that's a given. (laughs) But whether or not they sustain some healing, some warmth, some connection, I think fundamentally dictates Tom's future, which is, if you think about it, emotionally terrifying. Imagine if your marriage is falling apart. You're someone for whom greed, money and power are extremely important. And the guy who kept you safe is gone. Now, I think there's a real moral, fascinating kind of road that Tom is facing. What's most important to Tom? If it's about really remaining at the head of ATN, then getting in Shiv's good graces is the most efficient way to go there. The question is, morally, can he square that? We're going to see. Yeah. I mean, he even said to, uh, I mean, they like like threw out a couple of like go to the office and er- erase the file called logistics. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which what is I in was that like, file? oh, man, <laughs> what's in that file? It's yeah. Is it more cruise documents? Like, what are we talking about here? You know what oh. I mean? Um, and, and, and he trusted Greg. And it's interesting because he trusted Greg before and Greg sort of fucked him by holding on to documents it's like uh they're they did they're leaving this loose end out there for us to you know worry about farnoosh what happens to tom i really hope shiv doesn't take him back i think you know we saw in this episode how uh to danielle's point you know the patriarchy um reigns and the women who got sort of thrown under the bus time and time again and i think that I do think that this show can still be a feminist show. And I think that if Shiv denies Tom, if she denies Tom, that would be the ultimate fuck you 
feminist move. And I think he he doesn't deserve. I mean, this show isn't about who deserves what, right? But in my in in my like, if what would make me happy is if Tom got nothing because he has just. I mean, on the one hand, you sort of sympathize like he's the most he's the most common folk type character in the show. Like he came from, um, you know, a humble yeah, beginnings. The Midwest. He, he's yeah, not. Right. A, yeah, he, he's not a Nepo baby here. But um, so there and is he a little bit of that. wants to talk about feelings, making him an exception. Yeah. In yeah. This crowd. Mm-hmm. He's conflicted like everybody. But I, I just think his his more recent actions are unforgivable. And I would love to see him get tormented a little bit as he deserves. I mean, I want to say for also Tom has been a punching bag in the family for so long. Remember they were going to send him to prison. He yeah, has, that was his choice. Remember he was like but he, practice, he has been practice the eating. Bag. Yeah, that was he was practice eating at a diner in preparation for prison. <laughs> I I you know, yeah, that was definitely he's put himself in this position to just be um a a a clown that the family can use in whatever fashion. It's right. Uh, yeah. And now he's sort of seeing like if I had stayed with Shiv, I had been loyal to Shiv. I, he's like, I, it's almost like, did you not see this death coming? Like, right. but but to, like, but, but if he, I can be Team Tom for a second, okay. Try being loyal to someone who is that cruel to you in marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. None of us would have an easy time. This one of the things I love about Shiv, and one of the reasons I do think this is very much a feminist show, is that her confusions, her bad behaviors, of which there are many are traditionally things that we see with male characters on television. She can't commit. She's not honest about her needs, feelings, and wants. She can't be vulnerable with her partner. She treats him like an assumed kind of support without supporting him or having compassion. We don't usually hear that about female characters here. I think I have sympathy for Tom as well, on top of all of his greed and horribleness, because he's also been sadistically treated by the person he truly loves. You know, I think you have to take that into account when you understand his actions. Um, okay, well, let's get into, um, as we wrap up here, I want to say one weird thing, and then I want to hear some just general predictions about who, how this is all going down now that we know that Logan is dead. I want to point out that, um, no one ever carries a bag or a backpack. (laughs) (laughs) They... And, and Danielle, you mentioned like the the show takes place on a lot of spaces where average people can't go, like a yacht or a plane. And I also right. want to point out a yacht or plane or the smaller boats that take people from a yacht to a plane. Correct. Um, which was the other uh, like brilliant little detail is that we saw the siblings boarding this other weird boat to go from the yacht <laughs> to to the airport. Anyway, I just and 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 again and I'm constantly struck by where does Shiv keep her stuff? Does she just have great pockets sewn into all of her weird three-piece suits like what oh, is oh, happening? Oh, someone someone's holding it for her. It's also the reason why we never see these characters in heavy coats. They don't yeah, need you're right. Heavy That's coats. right. They don't need coats because someone's yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're yeah, going yeah. from the from the car to the plane. It's ten seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I I was just like, God, I would have like some like lip stuff, like a, maybe a <laughs> lipstick. I would have like a mirror. I would just need a purse. Like the fact that she just lives her life without a purse is so. <laughs> 
incredible to me. And that was besides Logan's death. One of my main takeaways about this episode is, is, is realizing that Um, now. (laughs) Well, let's give, let's give our predictions. Um, They really set up a lot in that little trailer after the show. They, Set up that the election is going to come and rear its head. Yeah. That one can't, you know, um, meatball Ron meets Donald Trump type candidate, but good looking. Right. Is going to come back. Justin Kirk, I think is his, the actor's name. Um, He's great. So there's a lot that's going to happen in the in the rest of this seven episodes. Um where does all of this land for you? And 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 I guess in the me- in the immediate term, does the Matson deal fall apart? The Gojo deal. <sighs> Farnoosh, where where do it's, you think? Uh, this is the hardest question. I I honestly I feel like I could just I'll just pick something, you know. Like yes. I have no <laughs> no real ideas of what's. I'm just gonna guess. Um, I I kind of would love to see. I'm going back to cousin Greg. You know, become alt. If we're talking about like what's gonna happen at the very end, I feel like he has. Um, we've all been fixated on the siblings and which one of them is going to be the successor. I feel like it's not going. They're not, you know, the show has already proven to us that it's it 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 will try to surprise us by maybe picking someone on the on on the outskirts. Maybe it's Jerry. Maybe it's. I mean, I think Jerry would be the best. Frankly, I think she's the best suited. She's the most, she has the best yeah, temperament. She's qualified. She has, she's, she's amazing. She's qualified. Yeah. And and actually, you know, given that Logan wanted her out. In the final, in the last episode, it was sort of be, if, if it was up to the children, maybe if they were like, if it's not going to be one of us, let's have it be Jerry because this is not what dad wanted and we hate him. Um, so it would be sort of like, you know, uh, in some ways, uh, perfect um, revenge. But I do think that um, there is more to develop with Greg and I'm here for it. I you're it's so interesting the like cousin Greg theorists yeah. are are out yeah. there. You're not alone. Yeah. I'm not on the cousin Greg bandwagon, but I mean I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> it's not like as extreme as climate change denialism, but it's approaching. <laughs> okay, Danielle, where where are you? So, in terms of the deal moving forward, um uh, I don't I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. It's like you know, if it'll work out and when it'll work out. But here's what I do believe is about to happen. These are three siblings who were raised in an environment where they were taught to be adversarial with each other and the world. They don't really know how to be siblings in a wholesome emotional way. They've never had those tools given to them. The one thing vaguely, slightly, just barely aligning them into a sense of collective purpose was the shared enemy of their father. And that is now dead, literally. Mm. So what I do expect to watch is that very frail sense of connection and unity fray immediately. And we're going to see three very unwell, abused in their childhood, unhealed, extraordinarily privileged people start to behave in even worse and unexpected ways than we've anticipated or seen before because they no longer have the ballast of a common force to fight against. That's what I think is coming our way. Um, I think that the uh, they one of the things that the show is also kind of mention over and over and over again is that Waystar is a dying business. Mm. 
Mm. Um, it's it's too analog. It needs it needs Gojo's to survive. It needs something to survive. Right. Um, and 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 to give it meaning. And so I think the siblings will really try to make that Gojo deal happen. I think that they probably let the Pierce deal go. Whatever happens with the Pierce deal, but. Um, but but if it does, and then, and then I think there's an interesting possibility that the Gojo deal does not happen and that they are basically, um, you know, wearing a crown of paper mache made of paper mache, like presiding over a dying company. So it's sort mm. of like they do get to succeed in some capacity, but it's over a pile of garbage. Oh, I love uh, that, Nagin. It's so Shakespearean. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jesse Armstrong has talked about how when they came up with this show and it was they were not going to leave us hanging it's not going to be like a sopranos ending where to this day people are like what really happened we right, will absolutely right, right. know and i appreciate know. that because i think when you yeah. bring i mean this is a shorter series than the sopranos but I, I i do look forward to like just having a definitive ending um the show is called succession it is going to live up to that title there will be a successor and there will be no we will not be talking about like well do we think maybe you know after the show is done because it, it will be very clear and i and i look forward to that well folks um let me know all of your predictions out there um what what is your Oh, we didn't even get into the scene with Jerry and Roman where Jerry, oh. where he was basically oh. like, I'm sad. Can I just say looking though, oh my God. Yes. I'm going to steal, when, the next time I get fired or laid off, like I am going to use Jerry's line, which is, she's like, yeah, I'm what okay. did she say? You know, she was just like, I'm yeah, okay. this means you nothing. Know? I think she said this means nothing or something like she that. Said, she said, thank you for your consideration. She said, thank you for your consideration. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so every, much, yeah. every sentence she said in that scene, I wanted to add on the words, and your dick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Th yeah, yeah. Th yeah. Th thank you for your consideration and your dick. I'm fine, <laughs> except for your dick. I mean, that's what that conversation <laughs> is really about, people. Oh, folks, um, let me know. What are your predictions? This has been such a fantastic, fantastic episode of television. Uh, we will be back next week uh, dissecting season four. And we have a very special, another very special guest next week. So um, we're, you know, can we top Farnoosh? Probably not, but we will. We'll make lateral moves. Exactly. Um, and, <laughs> um, and don't forget to tune in on Thursday for your regular episode of Fake the Nation. We're actually really excited about this episode because we have uh, the wonderful comedian Judy Gold on as a guest. So you'll hear all of her takes on American life. Um, and uh, I want to thank everyone who makes this show a possibility. Our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. And special thanks to Gabby Alter, who took the Fake the Nation theme um, and, and he did a he did a remix of the Fake the Nation theme inspired by the Succession theme. So that is why we have the most incredible music. It's so in. unbelievable. It's Gabby so is amazing. It's so unbelievable because Gabby Alter is just like a just pure genius. Um, so special thanks to him. Special thanks to everyone at Hegum for making this possibility. Um, you can hit me up at fake the nation podcast at gmail.com or any of the social medias that we should all be deleting uh, and <laughs> let me know all of your thoughts and we will be back in your earballs on Thursday. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>